Welcome to episode 109 of Junk Filter. My name is Jesse Hawken, and my returning guest is Meg Shields. She's a writer who's joining me from Halifax, Nova Scotia. Meg, welcome back to Junk Filter. Howdy. Today, we're going to be talking about 80s horror and an incredible example of a horror remake done right, which is available to watch this month on Criterion Channel as part of their 80s horror series. Yes, we're discussing Chuck Russell's 1988 remake of The Blob, starring Kevin Dillon, Shawnee Smith, and The Blob as itself. <laughs> Very good. But, but uh, it's, uh, it's an incredible movie that I uh, shamefacedly had to admit to Meg that I had never seen before. Yeah, that's on you, bud. <laughs> I don't know if there's such a thing as light body horror. That's what I would classify this because it's it's fun, right? As opposed to the body horror that's supposed to be gruesome and hideous. Like this stuff is gruesome and hideous, but this movie is considered light entertainment compared to stuff like The Thing. I agree. If it had a mind, you could reason with it. If it had a body, you could shoot it. If it had a heart, you could kill it. Now, man is no longer the supreme being on this planet. How did you find out about the blob, Meg? Um, I am like... 500 scare quotes old enough to have gone to video rental stores and uh, spent a lot of time like sitting on the floor by the horror section. And one of the most iconic VHS covers of all time is the blob. It's just like a different color than everything else straight up about what it is. One of those images that just like sears into your little brain is that the cover that's just got the blob written on top and then a, a gooey screaming guy in the middle? Like his distended screaming face and it's like all pink. And as a kid, you're like pink and horror. Interesting. Um, so yeah, it was one of my like file, save it and, and deal with that. Like watch that when you're you know, whatever, a bit older uh, VHS covers. It was on my watch list for a very long time. And then eventually I watched it and was like, fuck yeah, this rips. <laughs> <laughs> it it really does rip. Like it is, uh, it should be placed on the same pedestal as two other uh, classic 80s remakes that are body horror movies, which are Carpenter's The Thing and Cronenberg's The Fly. Like people so know what these things are based on their name alone, even though they're movies from the 50s. Sure. I do agree with you. Like there were a lot of... 19, uh, 1980s remakes of 1950s B movies. I think what makes the blob different from, you know, Carpenter, even like um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, another great body horror remake of a 50s B movie. These films, I don't think, are trying to be B movies, where I think the blob is like, we are a B movie. We are here to deliver a blob. That is what we are going to do. Um, I still think it's intelligent and doing interesting things i just think the reason it got dismissed so fucking hard is because of all of its cohort of remakes it was actually a b-movie and so it just like fell off a cliff <laughs> like immediately yeah it was uh, a movie that i didn't want to see in 1988 i was being very picky and choosy and so why would i see a movie that seemed to be designed for teenagers that uh was 
you know, just the the blob on the rampage. I did not have a sense of how intelligent the movie was from the way it was marketed. I think we can blame the marketers for this one uh, because oh, sure. it could have talked me into seeing the blob. Uh, but I just never got around to it for many years. And then uh, later when they invented Twitter, I found out that a lot of people <laughs> like the blob. And and then when uh, Criterion fast-tracked it to be as part of their 80s horror series, I was like, all right, let's do this. It's time, baby. I don't know. Like, if you were, like, I don't think you could do an 80s horror collection without the blob just because it's such a goopy decade for the genre that having a movie about goop is like, it would like you gotta have it it's a very essential piece of the puzzle i think uh have you seen the original the 50s one with young stephen mcqueen i sure have it is not as good in my opinion what i i didn't know though was that it was produced by a christian film company they had made about 200 or so uh short religious films and they were convinced into uh working with this filmmaker to do um financing for this movie called the blob to basically get some money back into their coffers Hmm. I don't think it's a Christian movie per se, but it has a weird lineage in the sense that it was produced by a Christian company. Yeah, especially considering how <laughs> the Blob remake ends. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess that doesn't surprise me. Uh, other than the Blob sometimes being, in, like the original one, sometimes being interpreted as a Cold War red scare, if you will, a big blobby red the, scare movie. The pink scare. Um, also, uh, I was last year, years old when I learned that the reason the blob gets more and more red as it goes along is because it's all the, all the blood, it's all the goofy parts inside of it. Like, and yeah, I don't know, just one of those little fun details. Like, uh, I was rewatching the blob last year and like the 1980s one and I was like, oh, it's really clear at the beginning what happened. Yeah. Cause of all the blood. Well, the blob has an iconic, uh, moment that you'll see in any, uh, montage of the history of film will always have a shot of the uh, immortal moment in the blob where the colonial theater in Valley Forge, the doors swing open and a whole bunch of teenagers come running out to escape the blob, which has now invaded a movie theater, which this film does pay tribute to. And I believe that that town had an annual blob fest. They do. And there's, I think there's either a documentary or like a YouTube documentary about it where they're interviewing people at Blobfest and everyone there hates the 80s remake. Like anyone who goes to Blobfest is like very loyal to the 1950s Blob. Um, so I think a contingent should go out that feel the opposite way and we can have a fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so when they would have the annual Blobfest, they would recreate that classic shot. So every year... They, a bunch of people go inside the theater and then they come roaring out of the theater screaming and they do this annually. One fun fact about the original Blob is that the theme was written by Burt Bacharach. Did you know that? I think I did. And this is the theme song that has words, right? Doesn't yeah. the Blob have a theme song with words? Yes. Okay. Yeah. This is like, I am generally pro 80s Blob. I do think it should have had like a rap at the end that recounts the plot <laughs> of the film or something just to one up its predecessor. Also bring that back. I like any film that ends with a rap or a song about the plot we've just watched is mm -hmm. a, you automatically gain another star. So yeah. it's easy money. Do it. <laughs> didn't, uh, didn't tenant end with, uh, that guy rapping about tenant or, or am I imagining? Oh, it sure things? did. Yeah. I got an extra star. It's a two star movie. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> 
Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor, right through the door and all around the wall. A splotch, a blotch, be careful of the blob. The blob went to Criterion. I think that they put the original out on, on Criterion. Oh, yeah. Maybe yeah. we need a Blob 88 Criterion box set. Maybe a Blob box set with Beware the Blob, too. The 70s oh, yeah. sequel to the, the Blob. <laughs> which is... I said I said the '50s blob isn't good, but oh boy, oh boy, if you were the blob is in its own category. <laughs> yeah, it was directed by Larry Hagman of Dallas fame. Right, right. Which is why it has that journeyman stank on it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know this was pre-Dallas, and uh, for some reason Burgess Meredith is in it too. And it was, but it was shot by Dean Cundy, the guy. Oh yeah, Big Dick Dean Cundy, Carpenter's yeah. Man. Yeah. Uh, it has an opening title sequence with this cute little kitty cat uh, that gets eaten by the blob by the end credits. Okay, wait. I need a like a footnote about Dean Cundy for a second because I didn't know this and need to share it. So in the scene in Jurassic Park where they're phoning the dock and they're like, "How's the boat?" and or no, not. I mean, Dennis is phoning the dock. He's like, "How's the boat?" And the uh, the guy at the dock is like, "It's not great. Huge weather." That's Dean Cundy. <laughs> Oh, and you it? can't and you can't tell because it's like a digital image from like a security camera, but it's seen Cundy. So <laughs> I just think that's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Secret Dean Cundy cameo. One thing that I like about Blob 88, as I might call it for the rest of the episode, it's not self-consciously trying to be a 50s movie. Like it's. it's oh, no, uh, it is aggressively 80s. <laughs> All you need to do is look at Dylan the Lesser's hair and you're like, uh, I know when we are. This has more of a pedigree than you would presume. It was directed by Chuck Russell. What a career. He went on to yeah, make The Mask. Really? Previously, he and the writer Frank Darabont collaborated together on A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, which I did see in a theater. Yeah, Dream Warriors is good. Yeah, it was a good one. Frank Darabont, who went on to make The Shawshank Redemption and to produce The Walking Dead. Yep, and um, made The Mist. And the mist, of course. So, Meg, can you uh, explain to the listener what is going on in the movie Blob eighty eight? Yeah, sure. So, a rock, a rock with a a very blobby uh, uh, passenger smashes down near a Californian ski town that isn't getting a lot of snow lately. Everyone knows each other, but like, I don't know. Tensions are high. <laughs> for some reason <laughs> and uh blob touches down i'm telling the story from the blob's perspective i'm realizing there's other human intrigue going on but i'm only interested in what the blob's doing well he's uh, the star he's the star of the movie yeah correct um so blob crashes down uh and fortuitously enough is spotted by a nearby unhoused gentleman who has a great dog and uh upon investigation does what we would all do and touches it with a stick, which again, is that a Stephen King nod? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> poking, poking anything with a stick. I'm like, oh, excuse me. Uh, uh, it shoots up the stick, grabs his arm. He's not doing great. Then unhoused gentleman happens to cross paths with some of our teens, um, which include, uh, is his name Brian? Brian Clegg, mm-hmm. is that right? He's yep. played by Dylan the Lesser. He's the tough uh, guy. He's the bad boy yeah. in town. He's like the bad boy in town with the heart of gold that no one understands. And then, uh, and the film like very consciously like plays him like a cartoon character, plays all these, these, these characters like 
cartoon characters in a small town. Uh, and then Meg, whose last name I don't know, who is basically uh, our Steve McQueen, it turns out. Um, she's just like a straight up hero, like heroic spirit through and through. She's great. She's on a date with a football boy who is a jerk, uh, but would have been the star of any 1950s movie. Um, uh, anyway, their date gets ruined. They have to transport this man to the hospital. Uh, Flag bounces because he's like, I know this is bad for me. I know everyone here wants to put me in prison now that I'm of age. Bye bye. The teenage couple are waiting around. American healthcare system is bad. I love that joke. It hit really hard on this last rewatch when they, I mean, as Canadians, it doesn't hit that hard, but like they bring, they bring, they bring him, the, the unhoused gentleman to the, the front desk and the secretary is like, does he have insurance? And they're like, what do you think? Please <laughs> use your eyes. <laughs> um, anyway, they're sitting, they're doing paperwork uh, while getting a soft drink. Uh, football boy realizes something is very wrong beneath the sheets of uh, uh, the unhoused guy. And uh, it turns out it's because almost two thirds of his body has been liquefied uh, by the blob who is no longer to be seen. It is somewhere, but we don't know where. Um, And thus begins the blobs reign of terror upon this small town. uh, While we watch various characters being munched and crunched, and some survive, some who we care about meet horrible deaths. That's the premise. That's the blog line. That's the blog line? The blog, the blog line? line, correct. Um, well, th- this is one of the areas where I was like, okay, this movie is a little more special than most. It's the <laughs> way that it sets up all the predictability that you uh, come to expect from these things and then starts pulling all the pins out. Paul, which is the high school quarterback, we spend a little too much time with him in the first 20 minutes. We just presume that he's the star of the movie and he's the hero. Which, which you're upset about because he's like, <laughs> yeah, he's not he's, a great, he's he's kind of like not the worst character in the film, morally speaking, but he's also like clearly a dick. <laughs> like, and like not in a fun way where you're just like, oh, fuck. damn it. <laughs> Played by Donovan Leach. Yeah, son of Donovan the folk singer, I found Correct. Out. And uh, but we spend a little too much time with him. We uh, go with him and his other loathsome friend on the football team, where they go to buy condoms, which is another uh, uh, signifier of the sort of '80s teen dread. Was that this movie was made in the sort of the early days of safe sex and the AIDS uh, fear? They're, correct. However, the, my favorite joke in the film is the pharmacist, who's played by the actor who plays Babe Ruth in I want to say The Sandlot. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, is the pharmacist and also Meg's dad, and he gets duped into thinking that uh, Donovan Leach is like gonna take advantage of his daughter and like <laughs> is a scumbag. It's it's like I'm not gonna do it justice here, but it's one of my favorite bits. It's just the dad being so angry. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I was confused by the timeline of that because he was working at the pharmacy, and then when the guy goes to uh, pick up Meg for their date, he's yeah, he sitting on the home. couch, yeah. reading the paper, and that's a big laugh line because he's really mad because the kid wanted ribbed condoms too, so he's he's got it out for this kid, but the kid doesn't get to use the condoms; uh, they were for his friend anyway, and then uh, we all of a sudden lose this character. The blob drops down off the ceiling and consumes him in a completely 
ghastly and gory sequence uh, that also culminates in uh, Meg running into the room and seeing her, you know, potential new boyfriend being uh, melted into nothingness. It's an incredible yeah, it, sequence. It slaps. I am uh, self plug wrote about the sequence over at film school rejects. And just cause it's like my favorite blob sequence in the film. And it, uh like I think everyone on this film should have received an honorary engineering degree in fluid dynamics. Like they really pushed the limits of what metacellulose could do, which is anytime you see goop on screen, it's either like lube that Clyde Barker bought at the corner store or it's metacell, which is like a wood pulp based food thickener. Um, that is also a laxative and also all the goop you see in any horror movie. And like, you know how you get a duvet and it's like quilted like that? They basically made ravioli quilts of silk filled with methicel. And that sequence, like, it's not that long. And if you break it down, like, there's miniatures, there's rigging, there's, they like kind of invented 3D printing. Like, they scanned Donovan Leach's face and made a wax cast of it, like, from the computer to like make that distended face. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nuts. And like, yeah, it's great. I love that sequence. I think that sequence, you could teach an entire fall semester course just based on that sequence. It's super fun. I read that um, they saved that sequence for the end. They did all of the work on the film with all the blob effects uh, all through production. So that by the time they got to filming that scene, they knew exactly what they were doing and could make it even more impressive. Well, and I think they really, if if I remember correctly, I think they really struggled with the blob tech. Like they never, because they were very stratified, if I remember correctly, all the different teams um, working on the effects. So it took them like a long time to kind of have a cohesive strategy to making the blob. Um, there was a lot of like puppeteering where it was literally just dudes under like blankets, 200 pound blankets of slime. Mm-hmm. Um, also apparently got him in leech. They just straight up like waterboarded him with slime. <laughs> and that one, like there's yeah. one shot where it's like to scale and it's against his face. And like, yeah. he's a trooper. Like, I know we were dunking on him for being 1950s football boy, but like <laughs> he did the time. <laughs> like, he earned his third billing. Sure, uh, sure. <laughs> that's what I, I mean, this is what was so great is, um, uh, I, you know, if I had walked in off the street, I wouldn't have known who anybody was, but you start, uh, taking, all the cliches that you're seeing to be the, the stuff that this movie will follow slavishly. And it, it pulls the Janet Lee move on you and it eliminates what, a, who appears to be the male lead uh, at about the 28th minute of the movie. And you're not used to seeing things like that. And that's only the beginning of, of the unexpected deaths that happen in this film. The yeah, movie, that's, we'll, uh, we'll get wants to, to it, establish but, very quickly yeah. that uh, that anything can happen and nobody is safe. Yeah, we will get to it, but this is one of the delightful films that says "fuck them kids" in like a really great way. Yeah. So it deserves the credit for that. <laughs> so the kids, um, the kids who are have the souls of forty five year old men. I don't know if you noticed this, but these men are like <laughs> these these boys have very very old souls. <laughs> like, yeah. It's great. <laughs> yeah, we meet these kids. Um, it, one of them is the little sister, the little brother of Meg, and then his friend. And they're and his friend in particular is a complete dipshit. 
there's just like one scene I laugh at every time I watch this film where they're at the theater and they're like watching one of the best movies within a movie of all time. Uh, and which we will get to, but, and then the little kid just leans over to his friend and goes, check out the blonde or the rack on the blonde. And I'm like, you were a child. Like, yeah, no one talks like that, which is like conscious. Like clearly they were like, we're going to make these like perverted little gremlins. Yeah. So good. Anyway, so yeah, Meg gets to watch her boy, her her boy Paul, uh, getting uh, eaten, melted, and and destroyed by the blob, and uh, we have no idea what we're dealing with now. I don't know how we want to get into the blob's thermodynamics because it seems I mean, to be very I, fast. Yeah, well, so I, I think. Yes. So the speed is one thing because like in the 50s blob, it's it's very much the blob you you expect like it doesn't it just oozes everywhere. It's a slow creeping pile of silly putty. Um, but this blob like has strategy <laughs> and speed <laughs> and like clearly is on a mission, which I suppose gels with the notion that it's like a bioweapon, like that it's clearly has intent and purpose. Um but just conceptually, uh, the thesis that the FX guys kind of landed on was that it was an inside-out vampiric stomach, which just like, oh, that makes sense. Like, yes, of course, that's what the blob is. Like, I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the fact that the blob can move really quickly is honestly the thing that teeters this film over from being actual comedy into like horror comedy is that it is an actual genuine threat. It screams like a pig for no reason. Um, and it just like is agile in a way that makes me very uncomfortable. <laughs> um, it's like the Chris Farley of, of horror monsters where you're just like, you should not be able to move that fast. <laughs> Can we also double back a little bit and talk about that weird date rape sequence? Oh yeah, of course. Where the, where the blob is like, uh-uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that guy is so gross. Yeah, I like, know. It's great. Like the, like, I think I honestly think it's like uh, the film being like, man like because again like this film is is in the 80s but it very much is like playing with tropes from the 50s and i think it it very much is like exploiting that trope of like disgusting 50s guy like teenage boy like i don't know like it feels very intentional like i know there's lots of films from the 80s that are that do this earnestly but I, i i do get the sense uh, and I hope I'm not projecting too much, but I do get the sense from this film that it's it's like setting up this horrible, scummy teenage date rapist to be like, to have some sort of crime and punishment going on where you kind of are rooting for the blob in that scene. Because yeah. <laughs> he's like brought this girl to makeout corner and he's got like a full tiki bar set up in the back of his car. He's like clearly giving her too much to drink. Like, I don't know. I feel like I'm not projecting because the the... The, the whole scene feels very intentional about him being an actual dick and like doing the wrong thing. And when she passes out, he starts undoing her blouse and uh, while she's unconscious and, and then uh, unbeknownst to him, the blob is just waiting there. Cause it knew, it knew that this guy was scuzzy. And it was like, I'm just going to wait for dramatic effect. <laughs> like <laughs> the, the blob had already killed her, but we don't know that. Right. The blob is inside. No, and neither, now. and neither, and neither does. I mean, we can guess because we've seen the blob like, like sneak into the car while she's passed out. So, like, it's. But we also didn't know that the blob could kill you without it looking like anything had happened. Sure, and like, I, I think, I think this film is like, listen, we all know that there's going to be blob carnage. The question is how. And so, like, when her face like collapses in on itself, you're like, ooh. Um, <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, no, it's all in the execution, baby. So so this was the guy who uh, wanted to buy the condoms and got his friend to do it for him, right? Or yeah, no, he was the, the guy who bought the condoms? I'm trying the to condoms were for him, but he oh, was right. like, I'm buying them for my friend. Because Del Close, the priest, shows up and is like, what are you doing? And then he's like, well, I'm being a good boy. I'm I'm doing this for my shitty friend and buying him condoms. So we know he's not a Catholic because he would have been really upset with him for buying condoms. Well, it's okay. So in that scene, it's kind of implied that Del Close's priest is like, some something's going on there. Like he's he's a corrupt little boy, which like we learn later is correct. Like he's there's something screwy going on with this guy. Um, but he's very like familiar with him when Del Pro- Close's priest like comes up to this teenage boy, and it feels very intentional that <laughs> um, he's like the true villain of this film. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, Del Close, who plays the priest, um, was a comedy guy in Chicago who worked. Comedy in guy, City. he's like one of the improv gods. Like, yeah, he's an improv god. He's like he would be on improv Mount Rushmore. But uh, he was a horror buff, and uh, apparently, he was very excited to be involved in this remake. And uh, apparently, he was dazzling people on the set with all his blob knowledge. Listen. He should have been in more of this movie. Every time Del Close is not on screen in the blob, everyone should be asking, where is Del Close? That is my opinion. Yeah, he pays off at the end. You're not quite sure why he's uh, keeps showing up all the time in the movie, but we'll, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Sure, sure, sure. Um, the other fantastic uh, blob sequence early on where you are just, you don't know what you're dealing with anymore in terms of the power of the blob is um, after... Um, Brian, who is now sort of entered the picture as uh, the 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 guy who knows along with Meg what's going on here, and is and they're trying to figure out what's going on with the blob and trying to get somebody to believe them as well. The cops aren't very interested. Let's talk about the next spectacular sequence in the movie where they go to the diner where Candy Clark works. There are yeah. so many vaguely familiar faces in this movie. Candy Clark was in American Graffiti and in The Man Who Fell to Earth. And now it does she's... very much have the feel of like um, directors who have ensembles. Like that's not what this is, but like it, everyone is such a seasoned character actor that the whole thing feels very homey in a nice way. Like I think that's part of why this film is such a comforting eighties movie and not true body horror in the sense that you want to like shed your skin and like not have a body anymore. So they go to this diner, which I uh, wrote in my notes looked like Luke's diner from Gilmore Girls. Oh, it sure does. Blob in it. That's a mashup I would pay to see. <laughs> <laughs> Gilmore, Gr- Gilmore Girls and the Blob. Gilmore Blob, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Lorelai gets finally killed by a giant blob. Oh my god. So yeah, so uh, they're trying to. <laughs> we can't. We can't get through the sentence. It just keeps getting derailed. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's okay. So. <laughs> So this is around the time that uh, Brian really starts taking the blob seriously is when he sees the guy in the kitchen <laughs> uh, ill-advisedly reaching into the sink's drain, trying to uh, clear the blockage. You don't do that in a horror movie. No, no. Or in life. Do not stick your hand into a garburetor. Don't do it. It's not worth it. If I were in this town and the, the, the sink was plugged up, I would just put on my coat and leave and maybe hitchhike out of town. Also, just life tip, if you ever need to get to the bottom of your carburetor, literally turn your water off and open the piping under your sink. Just don't stick your hand in a carburetor. So 
uh, I loved when all of a sudden that's a big shock. That must've been so much fun to see in a theater when all of a sudden the blob comes uh, flying out of the pipes. Yes. And just uh, sprays onto the ceiling. But, but first he yanks a uh, George, th- the handyman through the actual sink drain. Yeah. Which, which is, is great. impossible, but very like yeah. Looney Tunes logic of just like <laughs> that mass and that hole should not work, but here we are. <laughs> yeah. It just feels like you get the sense of the strength of the blob. It, it, it you would think that he'd be peeled like a grape on the way through the hole, but yeah, instead like he just travels through gloved or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Brian and Meg save their own lives by hiding in the freezer. Yes. I, I noticed that they didn't do a great job uh, with the, uh, they, they, they sprayed uh, stuff all over the walls of the box and the boxes on the shelves to make it look frozen in there. But it actually just sort of looked like a teenage boy's bedroom, unfortunately. Yes. I, I, this is the Canadian curse is that anytime like anything cold is supposed to be on screen, we're all like on alert looking at like if there's breath and like, yeah. Um, the one that gets my mom is if tires squeal on the snow, she's mm-hmm. like, no. <laughs> so, so they're hiding in, in the freezer and Blob tries to get in the freezer, but Blob doesn't like cold temperatures. No, we're learning more and more about Blob physics. So why did the scientists send Blobbo out into outer space? Because okay, it's very cold. My, my question on my most recent rewatch was, and then I, I, I guess my only thought was that it was in stasis, I guess. But then mm-hmm. like, what was it doing out there? But then I think, Ultimately, the film is not very interested in these questions. Yeah. Um, Like, there are literally, like, maybe three lines about the military plot. Like, it is not the focus of this film. (laughs) No. The movie's not a political movie, I don't think. This one? Yeah. Would you say it was political? I think all movies are political. Well, yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. I think it does have something to say about... uh, who is disposable and what the hierarchy is in terms of like who we throw into the bus first. Um, it's maybe not the most serious political vessel of all time, but uh, I think it counts. I'm going to fight for the blob. Blob's trying to say something. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's not the battle of Algiers with a blob though. You know, that, no, I guess no, that's no, what I meant. Like, no, of course no. <laughs> the blobble, I mean, the blobble of Algiers maybe. Well, again, I'm you know, the, the Algerians could have, <laughs> could have uh, chased the French out of Algeria if they'd had a blob. If, yeah, if only. Um, this movie, by the way, in, <laughs> in France was called Le Blob, and in yeah. Germany was called Der Blob. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like, there's there's a reason that the first person the blob eats is a homeless dude. Like, it's go... Like it, it, I don't know. I think Darabond and Russell are too smart to just make a frivolous film, like, especially because this was, like, their heart movie. Um. I don't think its thesis is like very complicated. It's just like powerful people don't really care about anyone under them. But yeah, that's true. I take it back. This is not an apolitical movie, but it, listen, I, I, I just it's I just not watched... rigorous in its politics is what I'm saying. I I just watched Frogs and I was like, oh, yes, I was like, oh, what a political movie, blah blah blah. And then I'm like, oh, hold on, wait a minute. <laughs> wait. Anyway, there's Frogs and then there's Frog. Which one? Frogs is about um, Sam Elliott, who's a photographer, and he winds up on a plantation in the South that belongs to this like very strange family that love the Fourth of July. And it turns out they're rich, and they've been polluting the area, and all of nature is like very angry about this. 
It's fine. It's very. I actually think that if if you're a big Get Out fan, you should do a double bill of uh, Get Out and Frogs. Um, I have seen. Some... No, I have seen Frogs. Yes, because it, it was ringing a bell. Yeah, Ray Moland is the old man in Frogs. Oh, okay. Yeah, Frogs is pretty. I, good. I was I was bewildered by mustacheless Sam Elliott. My brain started to stop there. <laughs> it, it sort of takes some getting used to. Everyone's like, I can't compute the information my eyes are seeing. <laughs> the best advice Sam Elliott ever got was grow a mustache. I mean, he's not bad looking without a mustache, but, but the he's brand better looking with one. strong. Yeah. Yes, I, I agree. Um, so, okay, we got to get back to the blog. Yeah, we got to get back to so the off the, track. <laughs> um, anyway, so Blob is uh, terrified of the cold. So that's the big M. Night Shyamalan twist is that you could get the blob by freezing it. Or you can like and, stop it. You can at least like deal with it if if it's cold. Because when it it doesn't die when it freezes, it turns into. I don't think you can kill it. It just yeah. it just like chills out quite literally. It becomes uh like dun- Dungeons and Dragons dice. That's what it looked like. Twelve <laughs> sided die. Um, but uh, yeah. So then I guess when it thaws out, you're in big shit, right? Like once it's thawed out, Blob is back. We'll get to it, but at the end, it, every time I watch the blob, it really stresses me out when they all go outside and there's like crystals falling from the sky and they're like, it's snowing. And I'm like, are you inhaling the blob? Like, stop. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or I'm like, I, I feel like no one in this film cares about containment, but I, again, I am asking questions this film is not interested in. <laughs> when Meg and Brian are running down the hallway in the diner to get away from the blob, we see it going along the ceiling after them, but we don't see very much of it. They're running down the hall and you see the blobs chasing them up from above. Yes. And it's a startling shot. It's a startling shot. I do love this film. I will say some of the optical matting has not aged very well Mm -hmm. um, in this day and age of HD. And a part of that is because the blob is shiny and it is very hard to do matting when your subject is shiny. So it's not their fault. Um, however, it is, if someone said this film is dated, I would assume they were talking about the optical matting, not the actual practical effects. Yeah. They'd be talking about the hair that Kevin Dillon has. That's the the thing that brings it (laughs) into the eighties, but I have no problem with, uh, cheesy special effects as long as the movie's engaging. I, uh, Oh no, 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 no. Me neither. And it's more like if someone was like, had a bone to pick with the optical matting i'd be like fair mm-hmm. it is hard to do that with something shiny yeah no and when i like the only reason i noticed the poor optical matting is i've seen the blob 500 times mm-hmm. um like the first time i watched it that was not on my mind at all i was just like blob 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 i like had my phobe finger with blob <laughs> on it um these are just like the details i now see when my eyes are just like scanning the frame looking trying to like squeeze every last detail out of this film yeah let's talk about the other the way that the uh diner scene ends uh (laughs) incredible sequence in the phone booth yes very very good i didn't know that that's a combination of uh miniatures and uh live action yeah Uh, i uh, uh a fun activity for you to do is to go through these sequences frame by frame it's so fun because you realize what magical sleight of hand they pulled on you in terms of swapping out miniatures and full full size folks, um, yeah, it's so good. 
we haven't mentioned that there's a small town sheriff who's kind of sweet on the woman at the diner. And he goes over to when when she doesn't pick up the phone when he calls over there, he goes over to see what's going on. And uh, then we don't see him again for a few minutes. And then Candy Clark, after the diner gets ransacked by the blob, goes out to a payphone to phone uh, the sheriff for help. What do you know about the payphone sequence and how they did it? The, my big question while I was watching it was, how did they do that? Um, I know less about this than I do about the Donovan Leach set piece. But uh, like you said, I think it's just like a really clever combination of where they pointed the camera and when they swapped in miniatures and uh, in full size. Um, but yeah, it's definitely like, like I love when the face comes into, fr- like I do, I do have more questions than answers, frankly, for the scene. Like I do wonder how many takes they had to do to get the, the dead head to just come up at the right moment um, and slam against the glass. Uh, but yeah, it's like one of the most iconic payphone scenes maybe ever. Like I love that shot or that entire sequence. It's so good. And it has such a, a black hearted joke at the end, like where she's, uh, yes. she's being yes. consumed by the phone booth. It is, it's basically like the blob is now pouring all over the exterior of the phone booth. And now she seems to be like in uh, surrounded by pink fish tanks or something like that. She, all the visibility is gone. The blob is starting to get through every possible way in and, the guy that she's trying to phone for help emerges in the middle of the blob mass being decomposed, the sheriff. Yeah. She's, and, she's on the phone with the secretary and she's like, the cops are coming, right? Like that one cop that I have a crush on. She's like, yeah, he left. And he goes like, <laughs> and suddenly he shows up. So and, good. <laughs> and that was the one thing though, where I, I had to laugh that, you know, sometimes when they, when they make decisions in movies so that people will know who, who it is and what it means that when the sheriff's head appears in the, in oh, the window yes. of Sorry, the I know uh, what you're gonna say. <laughs> when the sheriff's body appears in the window of the payphone booth, uh, we see his sheriff's badge right next to his head, <laughs> just so that we know <laughs> who he is. Digested. We did some sort of. They knew. <laughs> they knew that we'd be like, "Who the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> What's that giant head? Oh, it's the sheriff because his badge is like right next to his decomposing." And maybe the blob was listening in on the phone call and was like, you know what? I'm going to really twist the knife here. <laughs> but anyway, and then the blob finally makes its entry into the payphone, and there's a phenomenal shot to end the sequence from above of her just being basically obliterated by the blob, just filling the entire phone booth up. I don't know how they did it. It's incredible. I mean, I presume it was a, 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 a dummy, but it, I don't know how they filmed it because it, 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 is so good. Yeah, it's great. Like what? probably just a lot of methicillin in long hours. And uh, I know they used lots of different types of rigging inside the blob quilts, but they also just straight up had people that would have like little glove hands that mm-hmm. they could like be the blob. Um, so maybe it's just a bunch of people dogpiling on her. Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, it's just a chaotic scene. And again, the movie just keeps on wiping out uh, all these people that you presume are going to be in the story longer. Yeah, the movie is like, hey, here's this really like this complex sheriff who's like a dick to the rebel kid, but it also is a sweetie pie. Like, look at this complicated three dimensional character. Uh, oh, oh no, he's gone. <laughs> and like, like uh, this film definitely like is very good about murdering people that it actually spends time making real people so that you are invested in all these deaths and they're not just like senseless mm-hmm. set pieces. 
Mm-hmm. Um, which is well, why and, they're vulnerable and good. It's like, oh yeah, right. Her. That's how it you is. Know about her. That's yeah. how it is in a horror movie. It it do be like that is what I'm. It saying. do be like that. Correct. So next big twist in the film is that uh, all of a sudden Brian and Meg wind up back in the woods. How come they went back to the woods again? I can't remember. They're trying to find some evidence of something. Uh, they're going to the crash site, aren't they? I can't remember. That's right. They're, they're, they're trying to figure out what's going on. So they go to the crash site and when they get there, they find out that the government has already arrived there who, uh, we first think might be the, another alien spacecraft, but as it turns out, it's the secret, um, biohazard team of this, uh, off the books military operation who are actually behind the blob. Yeah, but when they show up, they're like, we're with the government, we're here to help, we're like really good at containing outbreaks, like, do not worry. And immediately Brian is like, hmm, see ya. <laughs> like, like, his instincts kick in and he's like, adios. <laughs> so the leader of the scientists that uh, starts off looking like he might be vaguely sympathetic is Joe Seneca, the character actor who... Uh, Maybe you might remember from the uh, movie Crossroads with Ralph Macchio about the guy who has to make the deal with the devil to play the blues. He seems like a nice guy, but only for about a scene or two. And then we discover that he's actually uh, ruthless. And he is he's the one who even says, uh, we'll have to do whatever we have to do to contain the blob. And if that means some people die, that's too bad. Yeah, he's no good. But then he dies too. He gets killed by the blob. And th- yeah. don't all his men turn on him once he gets killed by the blob? Well, I think when the men realize that uh, we'll, we'll kill anyone we need to to get the job done also includes them. They're like, wait a minute. <laughs> it's pretty cute. This is what I mean when I say that it's like a B-movie. Like the, It's not like it doesn't take itself seriously or anything. Like There are emotional stakes in both of the blobs. But it's also a blob. And I feel like both of these movies understand that like there is an inherent silliness to blob, which is fine and good. And I don't know. It's like uh, this is just one of those films that I know the paces of it, like a familiar piece of music or something. It's just such a joy to throw on. Um, even though I will say when people were like bringing up um in like early days of covid when people were kind of assembling this unofficial canon of covid films the blob never got mentioned which is strange to me because i think there's a couple of ways in to make the blob feel relevant i know that for me the mayor in jaws and the science team that show up at the end of the blob remake definitely have a lot in common where they're just like totally willing to throw a community under the bus for some political machinations that are like going on in the background, but uh, no one really talked about the blob as like a COVID movie. And I think again, part of that is that the blob is very silly and I feel like people wanted very like serious, scary (laughs) uh, COVID canon and the blob is not that. (laughs) So the difference between the first blob and the new blob is that in the fifties, the blob was indeed an alien creature from outer space that was, wreaking havoc on the earth and eating everything that it could, it could find and getting bigger and bigger in this movie. We start off thinking that it's an alien from another planet, but there's a big twist halfway through the film or maybe two thirds of the way through the film where we discover that in fact, the blob is a bioweapon that has escaped 
and is being tracked down by uh, government officials who are all in biohazard suits. Yeah, they like did send it to space, like as a part of its whatever the experiment process, uh, and then it came back like like a, like an like a comet or an asteroid. Um, but that it was put up there by people, like like political Elon Musk sent it up and then it came back, um, and they're trying to. It's a cover up as opposed to. Well, there is no government conspiracy really in the 50s one. They uh, round up all the villagers and they quarantine them. And this was what was making me think about um, our current anti-vaxxers, how much, how difficult it would be in this world of uh, skepticism and and being afraid of the government and all that. I I realized that um, maybe a lot of anti-vaxxers all saw the blob when they were teenagers and that's what they think is really going on when the government says you have to get vaccinated and you have to quarantine yourself. They think that it's the, the plot of the blob. It's like they don't quite remember exactly the storyline of the blob, but I'm pretty sure that's what's going on here. I think you might be giving those people a bit too much literary era, media literacy credit. Like I don't, I think it, I, in, it was dumber than that yeah. <laughs> to, to quote Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's true. I, I, I'm trying, I constantly try to give these people uh, some kind of credit. It's like I'm a scientist myself in a way trying to fi- understand the monster. <laughs> I don't know if that, I don't know if that always goes well for scientists <laughs> in, in horror movies trying to understand the monster, Jesse. <laughs> the organism is growing at a geometric rate. By all accounts, it's at least a thousand times its original mass. Nobody believes me about what happened tonight. What did happen? You were there. You saw. Plasmic life form that hunts its prey. Predator. I want that organism alive. I think you ticked it off. We have to talk about uh, the sewer scene and the other. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fuck them kids scene. Sure, sure, sure. First, it's a movie theater scene. So, oh yes. Uh, so Meg, Meg, st- she, she. So the the government folks are like, you got to get in this van. We got a quarantine area, and they don't really have a choice. So they go in the van. Brian's like, see ya. Rolls out of the van. Meg shows up at the town center where everyone's mustering. Learns that her kid brother and his pal are still at the movie theater and they haven't been assembled yet. Um, the dad who. We go on a real emotional roller coaster with this character because at first we're like, "Man, this guy sucks!" Like, like blah blah blah. He's just a prudish dad, but then he like kind of comes through at the end, <laughs> like <laughs> like does this whole thing where he distracts people so that uh, Meg can sneak out to go get their brother. Um, and the brother and friend are at the movie theater, and we are currently watching an incredible fake movie within the movie that's a slasher, and it is so so funny it is so good it's called the um, garden tool massacre yeah it's i would love to see a full feature length garden tool massacre <laughs> um anyway the the projectionist something the airflow is not working it's getting really stinky in his projection booth it's because the blobs in the ducks um blob is crunching and munching on the projectionist meanwhile uh 
the most annoying movie theater patient of all time is really pissing off one of the boys, like explaining the plot of the film. And then suddenly he vanishes, which is very good for about five, five milliseconds before it's revealed that it's because he's being devoured by the blob. And then the blob comes in. This is one of the few instances in the film where there's a stop motion blob. You can't really tell because there's, um, they're doing the, the strobe lights. lighting. Yeah, yeah, the light lights are strobing, so it's kind of hidden, which is honestly a really nice fix for hiding the more clunky parts of stop motion, like when you try to insert stop motion with live action. Um, whole movie theater sequence is great. There's one part where a girl's like half digested face is just like stuck on the floor of the movie theater, which is honestly the last floor on earth you'd ever want your half digested face stuck on. <laughs> um, but Meg saves the day and she gets the boys and they run away. They make it into the sewers. I got to give the blob an extra point for killing that guy who won't shut up in the movie theater. See, this is the thing. I think the blob has morals because the blob kills the date rapist, kills the annoying guy. Like, I mean, it's not that the blob has morals. It's that it's the film is feeding into that horror movie thing where we love a little comeuppance. Um, but it's very satisfying. It's very good. So uh, we got to talk about uh, the next incredible uh, what you'd never do in horror movies that this movie does. Let's talk about the fuck them kids scene where where one of the boys uh, dies. Yeah, it's it's such a good sequence because I think anytime a horror movie is like, what if we waded through water? It's like, oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, it's great. The blob, the blob is lurking and slurping under the water and then it grabs the kid and you're like, oh shit. And then something worse happens, which is that the kid comes back up and he's like so fucking nasty. Uh, yeah, it's great. I, I love that this film is silly and goofy, but also is not above murdering a child. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, what I was thinking is like a couple of years before they made aliens and it also had a similar scene where they were running around in the sewer and the little girl is being chased by the giant xenomorph. And you're very concerned that the kid might die, but of course she doesn't, she gets rescued. But in this movie, all the same beats are dropped. And then, uh, when the child is first pulled off into the water by the blob, Meg jumps back into the water to save the kid. And you presume that she's going to do it. And then all of a sudden the decomposed rotting, but still alive, uh, half melted kid emerges from the water. And, uh, yikes, (laughs) that's a pretty effective, (laughs) that's a pretty effective. You don't do that in movies moment. And, uh, got to give them another point for that. Yeah. It's great. It's like, how many points does the blob have now? Like nine points? Many. A lot of points. A lot of fake fake Jesse points. <laughs> <laughs> Giving out the fake points. This takes us to the grand finale where the blob seems to go about five or six times the size that we've seen the blob so far. It was all the rats. It was all the rats in the sewers. <laughs> <laughs> so um, how does this movie end, Meg? Oh, that would be uh, the scientists have the brilliant idea that they're going to contain the blob by like closing aqueducts where I'm like, that is not going to hold the blob. Like, no, no, no. And sure enough, uh, not only does it not hold the blob, it doesn't even hold a teenage girl and a small boy (laughs) who make it out. Uh, And then there's a big, uh, a big street fight in the downtown of this town uh, where blobs wreaking havoc. And then uh, there's a lot of like running between buildings. Meg gets her hands on a machine gun. 
Correct. And Brian gets his hands on on a snowmaking truck because this is a ski town after all. Sometimes you need to make snow. Yes. But that's a big laugh moment in the movie where they have the, you know, you knew the whole theater was cheering when they have, they cut to the shot of Brian with a little half smile on his face while he's driving the snow truck. Cause he's going to, yeah, he's going to take out the blob with some snow. Uh, and they have this extended special effects, heavy sequence where uh, the army and our heroes are going after the blob with flamethrowers and, snow blowers which seems counterproductive to me i agree when that just again and finally with a, a warm warm bath for the for the blob paul's like thank you oh my god i get a bath at the end of this <laughs> so after blob- being in the stinky sewer <laughs> thank you <laughs> for some reason how you kill a blob as it turns out is you you will not kill stop well how you stop the blob is you blow up a a tanker full of um, liquid nitrogen or something. And that turns the blob into a big pile of crystals. They they flash freeze the blob and everyone inhales the little crystals. Nothing bad will come of this. (laughs) That's true. Wouldn't all the snow that was falling would be frozen blob pieces. It bothers me every time I watch this movie. Like I know that this film is not barking up that tree, but I'm just like, Oh no. (laughs) You, you want to know what it is? It's because I've been watching the Chucky franchise multiple times through this year as well. And so where the Chucky franchise is like, oh, one bit of plastic didn't get totally like obliterated. New Chucky. Where, <laughs> whereas this film is like, <laughs> which is fine. <laughs> well, this film has a strange coda at the end where uh, the mysterious reverend who's been running around while this chaos has been happening and, and in fact gets mangled at some point, like he gets part he gets of his, like half his face off. burned by like something. We see um, that he seems to think there's some kind of a prophecy involved. In he this. like loses his mind. Like everyone else is like, this is a blob from outer space. Got it. And he's like, Oh, that's God. <laughs> like something just breaks in him. Yeah. So I, he, he gets a blob particle like really early in the film like he he collects uh parts of the blob into a mason jar after meg and um brian are hiding in the freezer in the diner like <laughs> yeah he starts wandering around in the diner after that scene and finds the he got in early on blob tech <laughs> how he knew to grab those crystals and put it in in a sealable jar i don't know the voice of god man just being like but at the end of the movie he's a he's a sort of um End of Doomsday times prophet, preacher man, yeah. and he's telling the flock about you know the trouble that's coming, and you know he's going to unleash the the mighty battle between good and evil. And then we see him in his trailer afterwards, and we see the jar is still in his possession, and inside the jar is the blob who is no longer in crystal form. And we get it's a total setup for a sequel, which. This movie was a huge flop, so that never happened. I never interpreted it as a setup for a sequel. I always interpret it more as like, uh, this is like that was it was not a clean ending, which which makes sense. Like, I mean, even even like all my nitpicking about like blob particles, where I'm just like, I do like that the film acknowledges that like this is all so messy and chaotic. There's no way that it was like all swept under the rug at the end. Yeah. Um, but maybe that's because I watched this knowing that there's no blob two. Like maybe if you watched this in the eighties, you would have been like blob two, blob two. 
But it's it's not an unreasonable uh, thing because uh, mm-hmm. Beware the Blob was a sequel to the Blob. Like if you start up a Blob sure. series, you presume that you're going to make more Blob movies. Like you know, a, a a sequel like What About Blob? You know, about the Blob <laughs> going to see a psychiatrist. Yeah. Or or uh, Blob Lieutenant, where the Blob gets a job as a cop, but he's a dirty very good, cop. Very, very good. Uh, Blob Roy starring Liam Neeson as a Scottish <laughs> Scottish guy who has to fight the blob. I don't know. Very, very good. So the blob 88, not a very successful movie. Unfortunate. No. True, true to its B movie roots. <laughs> yes. Chuck Russell though, uh, went on to make some okay movies. Uh, the mask, obviously. Oh, I am. I am a, a big watcher of the Scorpion King. Chuck Russell, though, curiously uh, executive produced Collateral for Michael Mann. Do you know anything about this? I mean, I'm aware of the film Collateral, but I don't know why that happened. But you, maybe um, maybe Del Close, <laughs> Del, Del Close was like, yo, thief slapped. I loved being car mechanic number one. You should go <laughs> Maybe Del Close (laughs) introduced Michael Mann to Chuck Russell. Maybe Michael Mann was a huge fan of. (laughs) Maybe Michael Mann was a huge fan of uh, the Blob. I mean, one and done horror movie director Michael Mann. Who knows? The other curious uh, footnote in Chuck Russell's filmography is a few years ago he had he hadn't directed since The Scorpion King, but he took a seventeen year break from directing King. and then he made a Bollywood movie called Jungly, which I watched the trailer for. I did not know that this movie existed. Uh, it's a movie about a guy who's protecting elephants from poachers and it's got m- musical numbers and it's in Hindi, but it was directed by the guy who made the blob. I hope it made a billion dollars. <laughs> so what do you think was the reason why the blob has found an audience in the ensuing years? Mm, I mean, I think we're very hungry for tactile effects work. Um, That's like part of a larger conversation about, I don't think it's like sentimental feelings towards older effects or like being on your high horse about it. Cause like we were discussing earlier in the episode, if the story is good, then the effects kind of don't matter. Uh, But I also think there was definitely a prejudice against horror that was much stronger in the eighties. Um, and that has kind of weakened recently. Um, I'd say like from the 2010s on. And that's really helped films that have been championed by small groups finally get larger audiences. Like having the blob be on Criterion is great because it means people like you were finally seeing it who dismissed it for a long time. Um, but again, I think the blob is super easy to dismiss. And I think as the folks who have been in the corner of quote-unquote dumb films or films that are just effects like there's lots of folks who hate the thing because they just think it's gross because practical effects that's all it has to offer i think as that tide has turned it's not that these films have been rehabilitated it's just that they're being properly assessed for what they were trying to do the first time like i don't think we're being overly generous towards these films i just think we're actually (laughs) watching them (laughs) I think the like the shortest answer to your question is just that some films take a lot longer to find their audience. And I think the blob just took a lot longer to, to find an audience that had platforms to be its own, to be the marketing team the blob deserved in the eighties. Um, yeah. 
we would be remiss talking about Blob 88 if we didn't single out the incredible effects work of Tony Gardner. Who was like a minor when he worked on this, right? Or something? Yeah, like he yeah. was extremely he was, young. I think he was very young. He is one of Rob Botin's uh, protégés. And he got the keys to the kingdom to do the special effects work, the practical special effects work on Blob 88. You know, the testament to how good his work is, is that you don't know from shot to shot, for the most part, when it's miniatures, when it's real, when it's been added in and blue screen. Within the sequence, you're seeing shot after shot that are that were all captured in different environments. It's very propulsive. Uh, things move so quickly, and there's so much to look at that you don't have time to kind of. And also, like it's engaging, and you want to know what's going to happen next. So you're not really like sitting there trying to pick it apart. You get to do that afterwards when you go through frame by frame. When you're in your 900th viewing of it, that's when you start realizing these things. Correct. So this is one of many awesome 80s horror movies that are streaming at least this month on the Criterion channel. And I was wondering, Meg, if you could recommend any other bangers on here. Because you were, when I was talking about doing one of the 80s horror movies with you, you were very excited about me watching The Blob. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, okay, so like a lot of folks have been asking me about what they should prioritize. And like, truly, there's pretty much nothing but bangers this year (laughs) like you truly could throw a dart at this at at this collection and you'd be fine don't actually throw a dart though at your computer or your television no no but like if you want something that's very depressing and sad you can watch dead and buried you can watch the vanishing the most depressing movie pretty pretty hard um if you want more special effects goopy blowouts like the blob um society is definitely up your alley it's got some great screaming mad george effects brain damage is also uh an excellent body horror comedy about (laughs) goop that can sing and talk if only the blob could sing and talk it wishes um and then in the jalo department we have i mean not even jalo just like italian vibes like we uh, next of kin is here which is an australian film but it feels like an italian giallo um has next of kin has the best cat of any horror movie bar bar none it is an incredible cat um there's also an excellent fulci it's i, I believe the third film in his uh his um oh what's it called he has a trilogy of films about world ending and uh the house by the cemetery is on here and it's excellent has a great great hateable child (laughs) (laughs) i hate this kid i think it's called bob (laughs) he's not good but uh house by the cemetery rips um scanners is great great can con cue the winged serpent an excellent larry cohen film and like the hidden which which we were also considering talking about the hidden is so fucking good um like if you don't like heat, but you like genre films, you should watch the hidden. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and for my listeners, by the way, I'm uh, going to be doing an episode in the next uh, week or so on Michael Mann's The Keep, which is also which is great. On the Criterion. Keep, The Keep slaps. Michael Mann will not acknowledge his bastard son, but he should because I love The Keep. Um, 
the keep has really good like haunted vhs vibes like you know you're watching the keep if it looks like the vhs has been like rotting in a basement for 20 years like they should never remaster this movie because like an integral part of the experience of watching the keep is it looking like ass yeah um like a secret that michael mann wanted to keep from you yeah um that like if you watch the keep you might like unleash a ghost like i think that that's very important to the experience of watching the keep um but yeah no like truly you could you could pick a movie at random on here and you'd have a great time like that's the the nice thing about 80s horror i mean other than the vanishing i wouldn't describe that as like a great time but like you're gonna get something good um I don't know. They just don't make them like like this anymore. Full of goop. <laughs> Bring back goop. Meg, before we go, um, can you tell my listeners what you're up to and where people can find you on the Twitter? Sure. So I'm at the worst nun on Twitter. Uh, and uh, Film School Rejects is doing our 31 Days of Horror lists right now. Um, we very stupidly have been doing this for like five years, I think. And we do one horror list every single day in the month of October. Um, we have such bangers this year as, ooh, maybe I'll tell you ones that aren't even published yet. Um, uh, best dogs in horror, uh, best masked killers in horror, high rise horror. Like we get real niche with it. We are not trying to please the SEO gods. Like we're truly just racking our brains <laughs> trying to think of lists we haven't done yet. Cause I think we're almost at like over a hundred lists at this point. Um, so, uh, if you want to watch, the best of the best as far as horror threequels go, we have you covered. Um, and all of that archive is on Film School Rejects. But if you want to follow along, uh, those are being published every single day in October. That's awesome. Is the uh, dog from the hidden in the best dogs in horror list? Oh, so you are you are underestimating how much of sticklers for rules we are. <laughs> so so uh, these are good dogs, not villainous dogs, not good villainous dogs. This is like heroic dogs, like oh, good okay, dogs. Okay. So these are man's best friend in horror movies. So the the, the dog in the hidden freaked me out when when, I mean, when the hidden takes the form of that dog, and then the dog clobbers the guy at the fridge. Good the dog, dog is so scary in that scene. It was like good dog acting, yeah. I thought. Yeah. I like I definitely sent some pretty aggressive messages in our Slack being like, please credit the dogs. Please include their names. <laughs> <laughs> she has a name, you know. Yeah, there one person was um writing up the dog that's in poltergeist who like and we have someone on our team who's like literally writing a book on poltergeist and was like, I, I can tell you straight up. I have no fucking clue what this dog's name is. <laughs> I was like, fine. <laughs> Meg, uh, thank you so much for getting me to watch the blob and for coming back on the show. Uh, you're oh always God. welcome. Always a pleasure. Everyone go check out the criterion eighties horror collection. It rules. I think if memory serves, everything on here is sticking around after October ends. I don't think any of it's leaving at the end of the month. So you have time. Yeah. Yeah. Watch all of them, which you should smash that play button on the, the blob. Thank us later. Yeah. It's a great time. Also, a lot of these movies are 90 minutes. That's also something worth mentioning. Yeah. The blob is a, is a trim 94 minutes or something like that in and out. House by the cemetery, less than 90 coming through Fulci. <laughs> Patrons of the podcast help to make Junk Filter possible. 
To become a patron, to support the show directly, and to receive access to bonus episodes every month, please go to patreon.com slash junkfilter. And please follow us on Twitter at junkfilterpod. Coming soon to the podcast, we're continuing our look at the films of director Michael Mann. Sean Armstrong is a returning guest. We're going to be talking about Mann's 1983 supernatural horror film, The Keep, which is also available to watch on Criterion Channel as part of their 80s horror series. The original music for this program was provided by Marker Starling. My name is Jesse Hawkins, and thank you for listening. <laughs>